You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. Assuming, if you would, welcome uh, Pastor Eric Pluff. Thank you. Good morning, church. How many of you love Jesus today? Amen. Amen. Well, I'll introduce myself a little bit here, let you know about me and my and our ministry that I represent. Uh, my name is Eric Pluff. I'm a licensed open Bible pastor. Uh, my family and I attend Open Bible in Clear Lake. About a year and a half ago, I felt like the Lord laid on our heart that we were supposed to start a ministry network called Sojourners, and uh, that we were going to be preaching throughout North Iowa. And I thought, how is that even going to happen? But God has just opened up doors. And so our ministry really is twofold. Uh, number one is we want to share the gospel of Jesus everywhere we go. And then the second is discipleship focused. So uh, the neat part about this is we, we do pulpit supply, we offer classes, and we offer counseling. And uh, so in the, the counseling side of it, my wife handles. Uh, I deal with more of the pulpit supply. We have a couple ministers that are part of our network so that we can plug them in in churches that are in need. So I grew up as a pastor's kid, and I knew what it was like when it was vacation time. And it was like this. We will plan our vacation so that we leave as soon as church is over on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> and then we're gone until Saturday. We got to get back Saturday in time for my dad or my mom to uh, get enough sleep to preach that next morning, right? And then all week they're working on their sermon while we're at vacation. So part of this is I have a, I have a passion for helping pastors who need a little bit of time off. And that, that's sort of what it started as. Um, so, uh, like, as your pastor, thank you, Pastor Jeff, for inviting us here to, to do this. Um, as he's recovering, uh, pastors that need time off, we filled in in those different capacities. And then it just seemed like God opened doors for some churches who they had made the hard decision to leave their national denomination. And they, uh, because of the culture stuff that was going on, where they weren't following biblical principles, and some of them, their pastors stayed with the denomination, so they were pastorless. Um, other churches, their pastor helped them pull away, but he, he or she, were, they were at retirement age. So once they got pulled away, then they retired, and there was no pool of pastors for those churches to, uh, to draw from. So we thought, well, hey, we can help fill that, that void and help them transition. So that's part of it. Um, and then what I realized was happening and I know, I know what kind of church this is. I've done my research. So I know you guys love Jesus. You understand the gospel message, right? How many of you have friends, neighbors, family who go to, the, to church every Sunday, but they don't know? They have no relationship with the Lord. Any of you? Yeah. Yep, there's a lot of those big, tall cathedral buildings on the corner that has a lot of religion. And I realized all of a sudden, and one of our ministers that's with our network, he expressed this perfectly. He said, I was walking around my town and I looked at all these cathedrals on the corners and they're just, they're just dead. They aren't preaching the gospel. The people that go there, are, they have a religious experience every Sunday morning. They, they do a religious exercise, but they have no relationship with the Lord. And, he, and uh, he was praying about that and he felt like God said, what message would you bring to them if I put you there? 
And about a week later, we connected with him, and, and God has opened up doors. So I tell you, I love coming to churches like this where I can, can preach and, and have fun, and you guys respond. I get the most excited to go to the stuffiest, most liturgical, cathedral-type settings and give a gospel message and see 85-year-old ladies that have been there all their life raise their hand to receive the Lord. So that's what I get excited about. So. So that is a little bit about what Sojourners is, is all about. And uh, it's just God. He's the only one that could put something together like that. You know, there's a mission field right there in every community of people that go to church that need to hear about him. So, so anyway, let's, let's pray, and then we'll get started this morning. Father God, I thank you that we get to come here and worship you freely, Lord. I just pray as we open up your word today, Lord, that your anointing would, would fall in this place, that it would accompany this message, Father. I just pray that you would speak to hearts and minds today, Lord, to receive what you have for them today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so when uh, World War I broke out, that was over a century ago, right? The war ministry in London dispatched a coded message to one of the British outposts in a real inaccessible area of Africa. And the message read, War declared, arrest all enemy aliens in your district. The war ministry received a prompt reply, have arrested 10 Germans, 6 Belgians, 4 Frenchmen, 2 Italians, 3 Austrians, and 1 American. Please advise immediately who we are at war with. <laughs> okay. That is a very important thing to know, is it not? <laughs> right. So I would say that would be first and foremost if you're in a battle to know who your enemy is. So uh, the message title today is The Battlefield of Our Mind. And how many of you understand that we are in a spiritual battle? Okay. That was a good response. Um, a lot of that battle takes place in our minds. A lot of it does. So whether or not we agree with whether there is a spiritual warfare going on, there is a spiritual battle taking place. And so if we just sit around and try to ignore that and be a, just pretend that it doesn't exist, I'm telling you that at some point you're just going to become a casualty of that war. So it's better to understand who we're fighting and, and how to fight our enemy. So who knows who our true enemy is? Yes, it is the devil. It is Satan. And Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, says, Finally, my brethren, and I know I'm in a little different translation than what you guys got on the screens, but it's the same word of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we're told to be strong in the Lord, to rely on his power and his might, and to be aware that the devil has schemes, and he's trying to come against us. So the real battle is not with other people. It's against the spiritual powers that are at work behind what is taking place in the physical world that, that we would see. So um, take, for example... And I know this can be touchy, but I felt like God said, just go there. So take, for example, that which is going on in the world today over in the Middle East. Um, if for a minute you set aside your feelings uh, about what's going on, and just look objectively at uh, the, the, the war with Israel here. 
And I'm, what I'm going to point out is not a political statement. And, and I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying that everything that Israel does is right, okay? But if you set those narratives aside, look at who Israel is. Who is Israel? They are God's people, right? Yep. And uh, they have a part in God's eschatological plan, his end times plan. They're there. They're the only nation that is like prophesied about all the way to the end. So we have to recall that. The Bible makes that really clear. And there are demonic forces that are and have been and currently are at work to destroy the nation of Israel. Um, it is truly, it is not a land dispute. Uh, it's way deeper than that. It's also much deeper than some people say, well, this is just a 4,000-year-old family feud, feud that has gone on since Isaac and Ishmael. It's just it's what they do. It's not that. It's more than that because there is a spiritual root behind it. Um, in Revelation 12, we're given a historical and a prophetic panoramic picture into spiritual warfare. And if you read Revelation 12, go ahead today, when you go home, read that. It's a glimpse at the, that invisible side of things that are taking place, the forces that are operating behind what we see physically transpiring um, and what we've seen historically. The great red dragon, which is Satan, is trying to destroy the woman who is Israel and the, the man-child that she gives birth to, the Messiah. So when you look through the Bible and you see, um, oh, the, the story with Esther, Haman and Esther, that wasn't just one crazy guy. You know, that was a, a demonic plot behind it. When you see Herod killing all the infants, that wasn't just a Herod crazy thing, which he was, but there was a demonic plot behind that to stamp out the Messiah. Um, when you look at Hitler, crazy guy, there's a demonic force behind what was taking place there to stamp out the children of God. And you can look out throughout history. If you study your history, you know that the Jews have been persecuted uh, at a degree that is not warranted. It doesn't make sense that the, uh, what is taking place. And it's because it's, it's a spiritual battle that is behind the physical battle that we see. So likewise, we have to be aware that when we face conflicts in our life, that we really aren't warring against flesh and blood, but there is a spiritual power behind that flesh and blood that is the motivation that is propelling that. So first, we have to know who our enemy is, right? And um, that way we can prepare. So the enemy, that's, that's the devil and all his minions. Secondly, do not underestimate your opponent. That is rule number one. I'm gonna share a story with you. I'm a little embarrassed to share. So when I, was, when I graduated from high school, college, went to college that, that age, I'm 19, okay? There was a guy that I knew who was, uh, he's a short little guy, a little bit overweight. He was my parents' age, so he was you know, middle-aged, short, little, overweight guy. Super not threatening type of an individual, right? Um, at this time, I, was, I started lifting weights. Like, I got crazy about lifting weights. I just wanted to build mass. So I did that, like, three hours a day in the gym. In a seven-month seven period, I gained 35 pounds and added 140 pounds to my bench press. So when I'm meeting this guy, 
as my story unfolds. I weigh 205 pounds, I bench press 360, and he's about 160 pounds, he's about five foot two, I don't know, he's just a little guy. And uh, I wanted to take up boxing. So, the sport of boxing. My dad says, you should go talk to that guy. <laughs> what, really? He's like, no, no, he, he knows a lot about boxing. He's, he's a professional boxer. I was like, okay, all right. So my brother and I and his son, we started training together. He taught us how to spar, and he had, had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of stories. And I remember one day we were sparring, and I had a, 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 a fierce left, left jab and because of my strength. And I just hid behind my strength and my size, you know. So I'm sparring with him, and I landed a jab right on his chin that stung him. And I remember that he, he staggered backwards for just a second. And in my young 19-year-old mind, I thought to myself, I got him. He's, I'm earning some respect here, you know what I mean? And uh, what transpired next, you kind of would have to be there to see it. It would be better if you were in my shoes. <laughs> so I stung him, and he rocked back, and I remember his face face, his whole countenance changed. It was like this wave went over him, and his eyes went like lasers and stared through me, and before I had even a second to react, that guy leaped from like five feet away, and the barrage of fists that hit my face, I didn't even know that a human being could move that fast, and as I'm staggering backwards, I thought, he just turned my face like inside out, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> So here's the point. I, I underestimated my opponent at that point. And uh, so here's the real story. Old Carl, he was rated seventh in the world welterweight. And he, uh, he has a really cool story uh, about some of the corruption in boxing. But he was one fight away from fighting Sugar Ray Leonard for a title fight. So yeah, he was good, he was good. And uh, so even though he didn't look like a threat and walking down the, down the street, you wouldn't think anything of him. He could hold his own probably anywhere he went. So same for us. We've got to not overlook our enemy. First uh, Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, lion seeking whom he may devour. Now there's a, there's a common teaching that I, or a common theme in a lot of sermons that I hear about this verse. And, and it goes something like this. The devil prowls around like a lion. He's roaring. He makes a whole bunch of noise. But he ha he, he's had his teeth pulled. Okay? And I understand what is trying to be communicated there. Okay? And that is that uh, as born-again believers, the devil is a defeated foe. That's, that's true. And uh, in Christ, we have the victory over the devil. So all of that is true. However, it doesn't say that he doesn't have any teeth or that he isn't dangerous. And in fact, it says that he's looking for whom he may devour. So that means in our metaphor of a lion, he's looking for lunch. He's looking for somebody to eat, right? Now, he may not have teeth, but I did know a guy who had no teeth, and he could gum a steak down as fast as anybody else could with regular teeth. 
So I'm saying don't underestimate your opponent because really the point of the verse here is, is be aware, be watchful because he's out there looking for somebody to, de to devour. And um, the, truth of that, the truth of the matter is not every believer has positioned themselves in a place where they can stand against him. And that happens. Uh, if you give him place in your mind, trust me, he has teeth. So um, I'm sure all of us probably know uh, of a believer or have ex experienced it ourselves who have been worked over by the devil in some way, shape, or form in their life, which has led to destructive behaviors, poor decisions, or some form of bondage like offense or unforgiveness. Hear me, because this really isn't the main point of my message, but offense is a trap that the, that the devil puts out there to set up strongholds in our mind. And, and offense leads to unforgiveness. And unforgiveness, I'm telling you, will destroy you. That is, that is a trap of the enemy. So don't underestimate the enemy and his tricky and subtle ways about uh, how he attacks. So now that we know who the true enemy is and that we do need to take him serious, uh, let's talk a little bit about that battleground in our mind. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 6, I'm going to read that. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So here again, the real battle is a spiritual one. And he mentions that the weapons that we use, they're not physical in nature, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, meaning that God is our source for overcoming these strongholds. And our, our weapons are divinely powerful for the destruction of these fortresses, which basically that's what a stronghold is. It's, it's a military term. It describes a place that is fortified, a place that is dominated by a particular group. And uh, say if, if your enemy has a stronghold, that would be a place of resistance where, where he's resistant to your advancement and he can, it's like a forward operating base for him, okay? Um, he's protected, he's secure there. So verse five tells us exactly what these strongholds are says that there are arguments, their thoughts, their ideas that are contrary to the true knowledge of God, who God is, who we are in him, and what he has said to us through his word. So their thoughts, ideas, and arguments against God's truth. And our job is to take captive those thoughts and bring them into obedience to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we're responsible for correcting those thoughts according to what the Word of God says. So do you follow me? So a lot of this battle that takes place is how we think about things, how we dwell on things, and what we allow our minds to think about. Now, as we talk about this battlefield, the key to, to a mentally healthy thought life, first of all, is our relationship with God. Um, that's the starting point. Jesus said, unless you're born again, no one can see the kingdom of God. So when we put our faith in him, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in us. He dwells in us, and we experience that new birth. And it's the presence of the Holy Spirit within us that 
helps us, that can give us that ability to identify those strongholds, those, those lies of the enemy that are in our minds that we're believing. And uh, it helps us to have a clean thought life, a pure thought life. So the key to mental health starts then in that place of salvation because we need the Lord's help. Having a true knowledge of who God is and what his nature and character is really about and then understanding that we are his children. Those are like your two security places to operate in your mind. That will, that will eliminate a lot of the lies that the enemy comes at you with if you can grab onto those two truths. So part of spiritual warfare in that battle of your mind, if you think about an enemy advancing and taking over territory, who owns the real estate in your mind? That's a big question to ask because whoever controls your mind controls your decisions and thus the direction that your life is heading in. So if you have thoughts all the time of, I'm not good enough, I can't do this, or if you have thoughts of, I tell my kids all the time, it, you will be like what you think about. So if someone is bothering you, if you're offended with somebody, and you spend all your life, I know lots of people like this, they are so mad about something that happened, and their thought life, every time something is triggered where they think about that person or that offense, they just go there and they rehearse. They rehearse what happened and what they would say to that person and what the, you know, and they get angry. I'm telling you, if that's where your thoughts are, eventually you end up turning into that person. And that's why it's so important that, that we make sure that we don't give up real estate in our mind to the enemy or his lies. Um, have you ever had a, a thought fly into your head and you thought, where did that come from? It's not a godly thought. That doesn't even belong here. Well, that's probably a dart from the enemy. And so you have that choice to say, what was that, and throw it away, or say, wait, this might be valid. I'm going to look this over and think about it. Okay? So we have to be aware of that. Uh, the, the mental soundtrack in our head is very important that, that we pay attention to that, the self-talk. Um, so are we vigilant? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What, what, is, what is my thought life like? Do I allow those in? Do I grab that dart and study it? Because uh, here's the thing. At that point, when you grab the dart, and you don't just throw it away or give it to God and say, help me deal with this. Instead, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ingesting this. At that point, you're aligning yourself with the devil. Like you're doing the worst thing you can. You're, 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 uh, you're defeating yourself by agreeing with him. Like, oh, this might be valid, yeah. And you start chewing that over. Uh, so don't align yourself with the devil or his schemes. Stand against it. Take th captive those thoughts and, and, and make them become obedient to the word of God, which means replace them. Replace them with the truth of what you know from the word. So these strongholds of thinking that, that hit your mind and that we we allow to have can cause discouragement. They can cause anxiety, depression, hopelessness, unforgiveness. They're all like side effects of, of what takes place in your mind as, as a battle. So if we look at an example from the Old Testament, a hero of the faith, uh, 
Elijah. It, it, it tells us in the New Testament that he was a man just like us. He battled the same things. And so if you're, how many of you are familiar with the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal? Okay, it's the story where, you gotta remember the setup here, all right? He's on, they've had three and a half years of drought. The king and the queen, Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they wanted him dead, and they couldn't find him. And three and a half years of drought, and then Elijah says, okay, now's the time, it's showdown. And he sends a message to the king, bring all the people up to Mount Carmel, bring out the prophets of Baal, bring out the prophets of Ashtoreth, we're going to have a showdown and decide who is God. And he says to the people, okay, stop wavering. Who are you going to choose? And the people have no response. It's a pretty bad, pretty bad response to his, his altar call. But in it, they, he says, how about this? We take two bulls, we build two altars, and uh, you let the prophets of Baal try to call down fire from heaven. I'll call down fire from heaven from the true God, and we'll see which one answers. And the people said, yep, good idea. We're going for that. So the prophets of Baal make the, the altar, they sacrifice, and they call and call and call, and nothing happens all day long. Okay? Then uh, Elijah says, all right. He prepares his sacrifice. They dig a trench around the, the altar. They pour water over the sacrifice so it's saturated and it's running into the trench. And, and then he calls down, he prays to God, and, and God launches fire from heaven and it consumes the sacrifice, the water, the stones even, it says. It licked up the dust even. And uh, huge victory, right? It's never happened for me to see fire come out of heaven. But I mean, that's a big deal. And then at that point, he then prays that the drought would be over and rain comes. So that's a, I would say you're on a spiritual mountaintop right there. Well, Jezebel, well then he has the prophet's executed, and Jezebel finds out, and she's mad. So she says, you're a dead man. <laughs> and, and Elijah runs. He flees. He ends up in a cave in the wilderness, and, and he's in despair, and he's, he's questioning everything. So you go from this huge victory to despair. See, the battle wasn't just a physical uh, display, a manifestation it was more than that. There was also a spiritual aspect that was taking place, and Elijah had to wrestle, or Eli yeah, Elijah had to wrestle with the stuff going on in his mind after the victory, because the devil didn't just stop. He didn't just say, "Okay, I'm beat, <laughs> got me." Nope. He was going after the Lord's anointed to try to destroy him. But Elijah, if you read through that story, and you should, First Kings 18 and 19. If you have time today, it's an amazing story. Um, the Lord shows up, though, and Elijah's in the cave, and, and, and Elijah seeks the Lord, and he gets the, you know, the, the wind, the fire, the, the, the rocks are breaking outside, and then he hears the still, small voice, and he goes, and he hears from God, and God says, what are you doing, Elijah? I have a plan. I have a purpose for you. Go and do this. So he gave him reassurance. He gave him a plan for the future. So he was a mighty man of God. He saw this amazing, amazing manifestation of God's power, but he wasn't beyond the battle of discouragement that can take place in our minds. And often that can happen to us. It can look like everything's going good, and we've got it all nailed down. 
but don't overlook that the enemy might still be trying to, to attack and tear you down. It takes pursuing the Lord and listening for that still small voice often to guide us to victory in those situations. So Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Approach God about those things that are going on in your mind that are causing anxiety or worry or struggle. Um, he tells us that when we give those cares to him, that his peace will guard our hearts and minds. And then Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, on the Mount addressed the cure for anxiety. Uh, this is Matthew 6, 25. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then verse 26 is an illustration of the birds and how God takes care of them and that we're more valuable than, the, than they are. Uh, then 27, he says, Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And then 28 and 29 talk about the lilies, how they're clothed in beauty and that, that God, God's the one that did that. So then if we pick up in 30, it says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. So to paraphrase what Jesus is saying through this portion of Scripture, he's saying worry and anxiety about the future aren't going to help your situation. It's okay to prepare for the future. That's a biblical principle. Um, so he's not saying don't prepare for the future, don't think about it. It's okay to prepare. But... And it's okay, and what he wants you to do is carry the load for today. But let God carry the load for the future, uh, which is to say, don't fret about the future. Trust God in that. Verse 30 mentions that those who worry have little faith. And, and that really is an indication. A, a, a little, an indication of little faith is, is a lack of trust in the Lord. Little faith is believing that God cares little about me. And that's not true. In reality, he knows what we need. And, and the, the key to all of this is to seeking first the kingdom of heaven, seeking after God and his righteousness. When your main focus is pursuing God, he promises that he's going to meet your needs or give opportunity for your needs to be met. And it's by faith that we hold on to that promise, that he said that, and we can believe that, that what he says is true, that he'll fulfill his word. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your cares on him, for he cares about you. Um, so give, give him your worries. Seek after him with your life. And then as we finish today, let's consider three weapons that are at our disposal. Um, and I don't know if the praise team wants to come up and get set up or how you guys do that, but I'm, I'm wrapping it up here. So uh, the, we have three weapons that God has given us. We've got the word of God. So to take those thoughts captive and make them align with the truth of the Word of God, we have to know what the Word of God is, what it says. 
Um, we have to be obedient to it to be able to apply it to our lives. So it's important for us to have his word inside of us, which means we need to ingest it, read it. Then we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The voice of the Holy Spirit helps us identify when we're under attack. Um, I don't know if any of you have heard, but part of the Israel said that part of their problem was that they were expecting an attack from the north. And when, when the attack came from the south and their, po their outposts were overrun without any communication coming to the defense ministry, and then they heard all these calls that something was going on in the south, they thought it was a diversion and they wanted to go to the north. You have to know when you're under attack. So they actually deployed troops to the north before they responded in the south. We have to know that we're under attack, and the Holy Spirit will help us understand, hey, this is an attack. That is not, that dart, that just that thought that just flew into your head, is not something that aligns with the word of God or what he says about you. It's to tear you down and destroy you. Throw it away. Replace it with truth. Don't chew on it. So he, the Holy Spirit empowers us and equips us for this warfare um, and prayer. James 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Prayer is our communion with the Father. It moves strongholds and enforces the will of God on stubborn, resistant situations. And really, prayer a lot of times ends up changing us changing our perspective of things so that we're more in line with God. So my closing thoughts here, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have weapons to pull down these strongholds of thinking. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, says that uh, here's how you should handle your thought life in regard to anxiety, fear, discouragement. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. So think about them. Let those be what occupies the real estate in your mind. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be, will be with you. So the, the, the practical application of a lot of what I talked about today is about identifying the lie, the stronghold, the point of attack, and giving it to the Lord by confessing it to him, and then replacing it with the truth of what God says about that situation or about that thought. Identify the lie, confess it to the Lord, and ask for his help. Replace that lie with truth. So, perfect timing. <laughs> I want to take a minute here to reflect as, as we play softly here in the background. Um, do you find yourself in turmoil? Elijah, strong man of God, found himself in a place wrestling with stuff going on in his mind. He, has to die. he asked to die during that time. He said, Lord, just kill me. I'm no better than my father's. So it's not like we have to be embarrassed to say, yeah, I have some turmoil. If you find yourself dealing with discouragement, anxiety, maybe even a hopeless situation, uh, or fear about the future, unforgiveness, if you wrestle with that, or you just say, you know what, I could just use a little bit more of the peace of God in my life. I want to pray with you about that today um, encourage, and encourage you to put into practice the tools that, that we have to pull down these strongholds. 
the Word of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and prayer. So if everyone would bow your heads, close your eyes. If you want to raise your, if you'd raise your hand and say, yes, Pastor, I just want you to pray for me. I'm not going to have you come up. I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you'll raise your hand and say, yep, I, I want to, I need some of that. All right, thank you. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray. Lord, you saw those hands. Father, we need you. We need you every day, Lord. Without your help, without the Holy Spirit showing us, hey, this is an attack. That's not true. Lord, we need you. We need you. Lord, I ask that your peace would rest on the lives of, of those here today that are saying, I need, I need help in this. Lord, I ask that you would renew their thought lives, that you would make them aware of those darts from the enemy so that they can resist him and take those thoughts captive, Lord. I pray that you, you guide us in truth, that you guide us to see you as, as our creator and as our father, that you guide us to see our value and our worth that we have in you. And Lord, I just pray for, that you would instill the hope of victory this morning. Lord, I ask you continue to minister to us as we leave this place and as we go home and go about our lives, Father, that we feel your presence within us, Lord, and that uh, you help us to be the light and salt to those around us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.